welcome to Legal Light, where we discuss everything e-discovery. Legal Light is brought to you by Outlaw e-discovery, the UK's leading independent e-discovery service provider, and your host Matt Altes, CEO and founder of Outlaw e-discovery. Today we're joined by Bill Carter, CEO of ALM, people responsible for Law.com and Legal Week New York. Thanks so much for giving up your time. I know this is a crazy busy week for you, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is a busy week, but uh, no, enjoy getting a chance to sit here and... So what are you up to this week with Legal Tech? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry, Legal Week going <laughs> on just down the road. Yeah, it's a um, it's one of our busiest weeks of the year, but we, we talk about it within ALM as um, it's almost our big party that we get to throw every year. So for me personally, it is... Uh, I, this is... I remember the exact first year I came. It was probably 20... 20 I mean... Um, 2000 or 2001, I first came to Legal Week Legal Tech when I was at LexisNexis. I was on the other side of the aisle going through, seeing the booths, and learning a lot about the industry from it. Um, now, being on this side, it's a big party. I spend a lot of time first seeing people that I've known for the 20 years I've been in the industry, but also reconnecting with um, a lot of our exhibitors and sponsors, understanding where they're going as a business. Um, there are some new startups that I provide a little bit of advice and counseling to, get a chance to go to them. So I had dinner with them last night. And then today, it's really reconnecting just with a lot of business partners in the industry from it. But it's a, it's a fun week, very tiring, but it is definitely we, very exciting. We always love it. And I think we're worn out by the time we leave and then we sort of say, well, maybe we won't go next year. And then by June, July, we've got withdrawal symptoms, we booked the flights and we're on our way over. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were with LexisNexis. I was going to ask you because you're CEO and president of ALM um, and you've been there 12 years. What was your introduction into the legal technology world? Yeah, so I started out as a software engineer. Um, in fact, I was pretty hardcore back, I was uh, started a PhD program back in the early 90s in artificial intelligence. Oh, well. And um, I wrote a chapter in a book whose math equations I don't now know what I wrote back then, so I've forgotten that. So I was really a technologist, went to business school, um, worked for a consulting firm for a while, and then one day was approached by LexisNexis, an executive recruiter, looking to bring in, um, they were kind of dealing with the internet, as they called it at that point. Um, mm -hmm. How do we deal with that? What do we have to do in terms of infrastructure, strategy, business questions? So I joined Lexus in 1999, was with them for seven years, wound up then moving to Epic Systems and ran their electronic discovery division for a couple of years. Interestingly, without having planned a career this way in advance, I went into the trade show business on the logistics and the operations side. So I was COO of a company called GES who moves trade shows in and up. Um, actually, we use Freeman on this show. GES is a competitor to Freeman. Um, and then was pulled back into the industry by going spending two years at Thomson Reuters mm -hmm. um, in the legal research business. So most of my time was spent in legal research, a little touch of e-discovery, trade shows. It all set me up well for coming to ALM really back in 2012 and um, then thinking about where does ALM go as a business from. For 35 years, Legal Week was called Legal Tech New York. What led you to change the name? I, I still call it Legal Tech, right. um, and I have to correct myself all the time. What, what, what caused the change the name? What, what prompted that? Yeah, and by the way, you're not alone in referring to it as Legal Tech. I often say Legal Week and Legal Tech together, even when I'm talking inside the company from because it's still a great brand name and something we want to be very careful with going forward. We realized probably about um, 2016, I mean, I, and, and you really have to think about these events in terms of um, whether they're in their life cycle. You're always looking for something new, something to keep it going. And we realized after speaking to um, a number of people in the industry, we were changing ALM. Um, we were getting much more into not just articles that are nice to have, but by being much more data-driven 
articles and insights, things that you can take action on. As we were doing that, we were um, really trying to expand and have more, um, I'd say, engagement with the leaders of law firms to really start to bring them um, really some, again, more actionable insights. So part of that is how do we start to bring them into the fold of the an event, an event where they can come together and talk about some of the things that are um, challenging them at this point in time. So we realized, okay, we can create a separate event or we could take legal tech and broaden it to bring together different cohorts of folks, marketers, um, managing partners of firms or other groups who had similar interests, try to connect them even between groups at legal tech or legal week and then have it flow over into the other part of the show. We've had CIO form for a long number of years as part of legal tech as an add-on. So legal week was really Let's broaden it. Let's try to bring the together the entire community for multiple days, really to engage and to address a lot of the issues and changes that are happening in the legal industry. From I see, I mean, and that kind of leads on to my next question. Um, legal Week is the biggest conference of its type, I think, currently in the world. What challenges are you facing to ensure that it stays that way? Yeah, so I think we, um, one of the definitely the big benefits of the show is the networking piece. And so we yeah. try to make sure that everyone can continue to network. We put things in like new meeting areas, new areas for them to come together. But I also feel it's important to, um, you've always got to have content that is valuable and interesting. So for us, we're always looking at what are the new changes happening in the industry? Where is it going? Um, what do we need to be in the forefront talking about? How do we get the right speakers for that? That brings a lot of folks to the show. The other part, too, is understanding the new companies that are emerging. Um, you'll see a lot on contracts and contract automation at the show this year, an area that three years ago was pretty small. So you know, what's that? How do we make sure we're serving that community? What's next? Um, where do we go? So it's a lot. We have to keep on top of a lot of things. And then anything we can do to make the experience more immersive, more interactive. Um, we had a couple years ago some virtual reality stations throughout um, it was novel then, people started to go through it. But you might imagine five years from now, as people come up with new use cases, um, applications, maybe you have more of that there that people can experience um, more tangible kind of event um, right. and impact off it. Experiential, as we would call it in the trade show industry. A lot of these technologies use Legal Week as a launch pad for new technologies. If you could, what would you pick out to be some of the greatest success stories that have come out of launching a, a Legal Week? Well, my hope is we launched a product yesterday, so hopefully that becomes the new one. We can announce a product called Legal Radar. So uh, hopefully one day I can say that that is it. It's, um, it's an interesting you, you question. Heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting question because I have seen it for a long time, and there have been a lot of success stories. It's hard for me to pick a particular one. Sure. Um, probably the category I could give you is electronic discovery. When I first came to that 2000 or 2001 show, there were probably two or three electronic discovery companies, um, names that really aren't around anymore. Um, in fact, LexisNexis bought one of them when I was there, uh, Applied Discovery. Um, to watch that category emerge from those three to now what are you know, some of the big names in the industry that have grown through mergers. I mean, a lot of those names have done, but it has been true um, growth in that. And what I think is going to be interesting is now how they're moving beyond electronic discovery into more of the managed services. Companies like a United Lex or others who are starting to approach that. So I'm kind of watching to see where does it go next. But it has truly been a, a massive evolution from an industry that really had no revenues back in 1998, 99. 
So how do you see um, the event evolving over the next decade? Uh, you've already brought a wider area of law into what was purely a techno uh, technology show. So how do you, what, what, how's it going to evolve next? It's hard to predict exactly how the events will evolve. Because again, if there's new, engaging, experiential type of events that we can do, like virtual reality, et cetera, um, I mean, maybe like a virtual newsroom, those things, we would certainly look for that. But we'll see how the future plays off it. I think it will become... Um, you know, I think the new emerging area, obviously, we're seeing it is the AI uh, yeah. from it. So how do we take some of that? Can we change that into different types of insights we can provide in real time at the show? Um, certainly networking will remain a key component. So how do we think about that over the next 10 years? And where does that, where does that go? Um, I don't know if I'm smart enough to figure that one out yet. <laughs> it must be a, bit, a huge challenge because such a big part of Legal Week is actually networking. And so much of it happens outside of... No. The Hilton outside of Legal Week. So looking to, I guess, actually tempt people back in, um, that must be uh, something you've got to be looking at. Yeah, I think um, it's odd being, you know, with owning Legal Week and, and Legal Tech. And I used to get invited to events where people were sitting in hotel rooms and not coming to the show. So it, it is, it's a common problem across the industry. I saw it when I was actually in that trade show business for a while at GES. A lot of the clients would say, Here, here's something from it. So we, we really sat down about that two to three years ago and said, what, what do we need to do? Why are people going to those? And, and a lot of it became that we were not providing enough spots to actually connect at the show. So if you go through there now on each level of the, of the floors, we have tables, we have lunch in there so that you can do that. We hold a cocktail reception within the exhibit halls. We tried to make it a, just a much better space for people to meet and to be engaged. We've got the global newsroom. So the interviews that used to take place in odd spots can now happen in there. So we tried to just make sure consciously to build areas where people can engage and network and not feel that they have got to go get a hotel room. Yeah, somewhere. a bit of respite as well. Exactly. That, do you remember a few years ago, they actually closed the bar in the lobby there, and that was just chaos, wasn't it? Yes. No one had anywhere to go and sit and chat and, and meet and, and then go back up to the floors. And to your point, that's what we started to realize. We've, yeah. got, to, we've got to do it. I mean, you know, there, there's always the tension of you got some of the business people going, but wait a minute, I'm taking away booth space. Right. And in the end, though, if you don't make the right trade-off between acknowledging why people are going there or providing that, it's going to be a. It's not going to be a successful show. So, talking about some of your exhibitors, one of the the big fun parts of the show is collecting what we call the swag, which are all the freebies <laughs> that the exhibitors give away. Um, does um, ALM put guidelines onto what swag? can be offered out. This year it seems to be all socks and for some reason everybody's offering socks. I don't need any more socks but I don't know about you. <laughs> Last year it was sort of, uh, cables or you know this sort of thing. So yeah, are, there, are there guidelines? That do, do, did you say to exhibitors this year it's got to be socks? So swag is funny because um, when I came back in the early 2000s and I first started coming to the show and I was on the other side of the table, uh, my kids were very young. So I'd go to the swag, get it all, bring it home yeah. and, and give it, it to them. It doesn't work anymore. As they grow up, they realize it's free. It's free. It's not a present. And so but part of it is now I'm on this side of the table. I don't take any of the swag. It's part of the ALM policy. We're not going to go around and collect a lot of those things. Um, so to answer your question, A, first, I don't get any, but second, we do not put any guidelines. So it is really up to the individual exhibitors, what do they want to provide? So the socks has nothing to do with you? Yeah, not, nothing to do with us. I did not have a shortage <laughs> of socks that I personally needed. <laughs> um, um, what's the, what, I mean, sometimes there are some bizarre things that people are giving out, um, flying monkeys and you know, this sort of thing. What's the most bizarre thing that you've seen given out? Given out, I don't know. I would tell you, um, 
some of the successful ones have been dogs. Yep, so uh, the puppies. Yep, the puppies. That was a couple of years ago or so, and everybody was going by to see the puppies. There have been massages at different points in time that I people that have one. done. Yeah, that, that makes an appearance um, every good bit. So um, I'm, I'm trying to think if I've seen anything that is really sticking out this year is truly unique like that, but um, those are probably two that jumped to mind. So finally, uh, we have a section on the show that we call did you know? And this is where we ask you to share with our wider audience something that otherwise they may not know about Bill Carter. So I'm going to ask, that: did you know that Bill Carter... Well, I'm originally from New Orleans, and I am descended from the Cajun French. So my grandfather was a Cajun from one of the barrier islands off of Louisiana. So um, pretty unique thing from it, fishermen growing up. And uh, so I get to spend a lot of my time he didn't teach us Cajun French, which was probably good because I don't know how it would be useful at this point in time, but um, it's a, a big part of my heritage and, and I, I enjoy going back down there and, and seeing some of the relatives. Fantastic. Bill, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a real, real pleasure meeting you. Enjoyed it, Matt. Thank you. Legal Light was brought to you by Altlaw eDiscovery, the UK's leading independent eDiscovery service provider. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to like, comment and share, and please leave us a review. For more information on our products and services, visit www.altlaw.co.uk. That's www.altlaw.co.uk.